Man, there's something about the name of Jesus that is just so powerful. Scripture addresses it and speaks to it. And so I want us just to take a minute, and I want us to say that name again. Now, together, I want us to say the name of Jesus. So one, two, three, Jesus. Let's say it again. One, two, three, Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? I mean, that song is so, so, you know, it's so descriptive of the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus. You know, and, and as we have been moving through this series, you know, we've been talking about the margin and stuff. And, and one of the things that I love is, is, you know, Jesus is what brings about that margin. It's Jesus working in us to bring about change. It's those of us in this room that have put our faith in Christ for salvation that literally He is working in us. He is working through us. And here's the thing, He is, he is going to continue to change and shape us and mold us into His image. That's His desire. But just to hear that name, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that we, you know, may say. And but the thing is, is when we speak the name of Jesus, sometimes we just need to speak that name over maybe some of the challenges and some of the issues that we're facing in life. We take that name and we just speak it over it and say, Jesus, Jesus, I give this area of my life. I give this area of struggle. God, I give this area of defeat to you. I love the fact that we're singing about the fact that we have been set free. You know, that we have been changed, we have been transformed. That we are no longer slaves. I mean, how awesome, how powerful. All week, God has just been reminding me of His grace and His mercy. Of His grace and His mercy. That God in His grace looks down on us where we've all messed up, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. And He offers grace. Grace to the worst sinner in the room. Grace to me. And, and so he, he offers grace, He offers mercy. And so what a great picture of that. And and so as we are looking today, uh, we're going to look at margin in, in the area of our morals, moral margin. You know, we've been talking about a couple of different things, and that song, Breathe, man, it speaks so clearly that just to, to slow down, just to be still, and just be, just breathe. Let God take some of these burdens that we're toting around, some of these things that we're stressed out and freaking out over, He said, just be still, breathe. Man, we need that. We need that in our life. We've been talking about margin, so we've talked about you know, you know, just time margin. We talked about putting some, you know, scheduling some time in there and being good stewards of our time. We've all been given the same amount of time. What are we going to do with it? How, how well do we manage it? And then the other thing is, last week, financial. You know, financial margin. We want to live with a little bit of peace. And, you know, as we, as we made very clear, most of the people in the room were battling uh, stress and strain from financial margin. You know, one of the coolest things is last week we taught on finances and we had like four or five people give their life to Christ. How cool is that? I mean, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, God deserves a, a little praise for that, that we teach on financial margin and people put their life in, in His hands. They literally gave their life to Christ last week. That is huge, huge. So today we talk about moral margin. So let's look at our definition that we've been using throughout the series. It says margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary, and it's the difference between what you have and what you need. It's a little bit of buffer. It's a little bit of cushion. It's a little bit of safe zone, if you will, or safety zone. And, and so what we, we, we kind of used as an illustration is if you have $100 and you have $80 in bills, then you have like $20 in margin, right? $20 in margin. Or if you've got, a, you've got somewhere you've got to be and you've got 30 minutes and it takes 20 minutes to get there, then you've got like 10 minutes of margin. And so you've got a little bit of buffer, a little bit of cushion, a little bit of safe zone, if you will, to, to get there. So, so talking about moral margin... What we've got to do is we've got to be willing to make sure that we've got 
some, some buffer, if you will, some safe zone uh, between us and, and falling over the edge. And so, again, it says margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary, and it's the difference between what you have and what you need. And, and so here's two, two things that hopefully you guys have walked away from this, is learning to say no to some good things. We've got to be willing to say no to some good things so that we can say yes to the best things. We've got to be willing to say no to some good things, and we've got to be willing to say yes to the best things. And we talked about out of Ephesians, there's a great passage where it says, live wisely. You know, make, make the wise choice. Make the wise decision. And so that's the question we have to ask. You know, it's the best question. Hey, what is the wise thing to do? You know, for me to go and do this, is this the wise thing to do? Or is this just a good thing? Or is it the best? Because God wants, well, He wants us to experience the best. Jesus said, I want you to experience abundant life. And He wants us to experience His very best. And so we have to ask ourselves whenever there's opportunities, and there's always opportunities, there'll always be something to draw at your time. There'll always be something to draw at your money. So we have to ask, God, what is the wise decision here? What is the wise use of my time? What is the wise use of my finances that you have entrusted me with? So we have to ask ourselves those questions. And so with moral margin, it's putting distance between you and temptation. Moral margin is putting a little bit of distance between you and temptation. Now, everybody in this room will be tempted in some way. Every one of us in here, there will be temptations that will come our way. You know, and, and so we deal with those temptations differently. Because, and to me, this just screams how powerful our God is, that He creates us so unique. But there's some of you in this room that you may wrestle with a certain sin, you may wrestle with a certain temptation, but the person beside you does not. And then the person on the other side of them may wrestle with something completely different. But it goes to show you how unique we are, that God has given each of us our own thumbprint. You know, even our, you know, the eyes, you know, when we do these eye scans, you know, it's unique unto us. Even our heart rhythms, our heart rhythms, man, it's, it's amazing how unique God has made us. And so, but moral, moral margin is putting a little bit of distance between me and the temptations that I struggle with. Look at this passage here. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. So God blesses those who patiently endure it, those who do not succumb to the temptation, those who guard against it, those who have a little bit of buffer, have a little bit of, of, of you know, safe zone, if you will, in between them and, and the sin in between them and the temptations that come our way. So God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. It says, afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who who love Him. The crown of life. God is all about life. He wants us to experience abundant life. He wants us to experience eternal life. And just like we were talking about in that song, we, we, we celebrate the cross. Hallelujah for the cross. God, in His mercy, God, in His grace, allowed His Son to literally come and die on the cross to bleed out His precious blood so that we might have eternal life, that we might have life eternal. And here, Scripture speaks clearly. It says, for those of us who endure, and it, it, listen, it is an endurance thing, because temptation is going to come moment by moment, day by day. It's going to continue to come. The enemy will continue to attack us, but we have, got, we have one within us that is greater and more powerful than the enemy. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And so we have the authority of, of God in our life. We have the power of God at work within us. We have the very Spirit of God within us. If we're a believer, now if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, you don't have that. But we have God living within us. It says, and remember when you are being tempted, to, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Or He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires. This is important. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So God is about life, temptation, our desires will literally, it's our desires, it's your desire for certain things. It's this flesh that hangs on your bones. And we will battle this flesh until the day we breathe our last. But we will, we, we will be in a battle. There's a, there's a war that rages. And so the thing is, is we have to make sure that we're feeding the Spirit, not feeding the flesh. And too often, if we were to look at our intake and our diet, we would say, you know what? I probably feed the flesh way more than I feed the Spirit. Very, we spend very little time in God's Word. We spend very little time in prayer. But we spend a lot of time watching TV. We spend a lot of time reading certain things. We spend a lot of time on social media. And if we were to kind of take the time that we spend in some of these things like watching TV and movies and, and things like that, or social media or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, if we were to take the time we do that and compare it to what we spend on the intake of God's Word, on time in prayer, or even serving others, we would say, man, this one is way out of control compared to this one. And so the thing is, is whichever one we feed is the one that will be strong. So am I, is my flesh stronger than my spirit? Greater is He that is in me than He that is in this world? In other words, God is stronger than anything that I deal with. Here's the thing. I feed, I feed the flesh more than I feed my spirit. This temptation comes of our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So a couple things we need to walk away with. Number one, God doesn't tempt us. How many of you guys have heard people say through the years, or maybe you've even thought, is God tempting me? No, He doesn't. God's Word is clear, isn't it? God doesn't tempt you. But here's the thing, you are tempted by the desires that you wrestle with within you. So your, your desires... It's what you want. Isn't that our mentality? Me, me, me. It's what I want when I want it. And so our desires, my wants, are what I'm battling. And it's me saying, God, I want to die to self. God, I want, I want to be alive to Christ. I want Jesus to live in me. And so, I, God, I want to crucify this flesh. I want to die to the way I'm thinking, the way I'm living. And I want to live for you. That's what I desire. That's what it should be. And so when that desire changes, our focus changes. The temptations come from our desires to be in control for the control freak that's sitting in the room. Our desire is, to, is for what we want. It's what I desire. How many times have you known someone who was in a relationship and you're thinking, man, that is not a good relationship. You know, maybe it's, it's, it's a Christian young girl and she's dating this guy because she's doing missionary dating. She wants to see him saved. She wants to see him changed. And I'll, I'll just say this to all of you. You can fall in love with anybody. You can fall in love with anybody. The biggest jerk in the world, you can fall in love with them. And so what happens is she says, you know, I, I, you know I'm just trying to reach out and I'm trying to you know, win him over to Jesus. And what happens a lot of times is they pull you away. And, and, and hey, you think, hey, it's a good thing, but it's not God's best for you. And you end up in a relationship you should have never been in. It's, it ends up costing you in ways that you never would have, you never would have paid. And so we have this tendency sometimes to think, well, I'll just... I'll, I'll, I'll make a difference in their life. And, and we, we choose not what, God's, what is God's best, but we choose what is maybe not even good, but just maybe it's bad. But God doesn't tempt us. Look at the second statement here. It says, we often want to see how close we can get to sin or what is wrong. We do that, don't we? Sometimes we like to get close to the edge. We, we want to see how close we can get to sin. I remember when I was a student pastor for 15 years, and probably the number one question was, hey, how far is too far? How far can you go and still be a Christian? How far can you go and still honor God? 
because I want to get right up to the line. I want to see how close I can get to, to you know, to enjoying what, you're, what is reserved for marriage, but I want to enjoy all I can right now as a single person or as a teenager or whatever. And, and, and what we have a tendency to do is we'll look around and say, well, this is what everybody else is doing. Is that okay? Why don't we look at God's Word and see what it says? And so there's a tendency to say, hey, how close can I get to the edge? And listen, moms and dads, I know, I know how this is. We, a lot of times we look at our kids and say, why would you do that? Why would you think like that? Because we want our kids to act a certain way. But here's the thing, mom and dad, you do the same thing. Maybe in just other arenas. We see how close we can get to the edge. How close can I get without tripping over the line? How close can I get without falling off? And, and, and I'll just say this. A lot of times there's a little bit of an allure to that. Because it kind of is the rush. Like, whoo, that was close. You know, man, or, man, you know, that kind of got my blood pumping or whatever. And, and, and it could be different things that we're looking for. But a lot of times we're looking for that adrenaline dump. We're looking for something that will make us feel alive. And we flirt with disaster. I want you to watch this video real quick. Make it tighten up a little bit. There's nothing wise about that, is it? Nothing. Zero. Nothing. But, you know, hey, it's the adrenaline. It's the rush. It's the high. It's the feel. You know, it's, it's whatever you want to call it. But here's the thing. Is that's the allure. You know, that's, what, that's drugs. Let me see how close I can get without becoming addicted. Let me, let me see how, how close I can get to without really, you know, crossing the line and, and having premarital sex. Let me, maybe some heavy petting is okay, so I'll just go there. Let me, let me just see how close I can get to the line without falling, without ending in death. And, and that's our mentality sometimes. And, and like, we'll watch that and we're like, man, they're crazy. Why would you do that? But we do that with our relationships. We do that with our marriages. We do that with our finances. We do that with a lot of things, and we sit there and go, man, they're crazy, and we're just as crazy. We just do it in a different arena. And, and so the thing is, is we try to see how close can I get to sin without falling overboard, without falling in. There's a statement here that says, put safeguards in your life in areas you are tempted by your desires. Put some safeguards. Put some guardrails. Put some, put some, some restrictions, if you need to, on yourself in those areas where you're tempted to fall. You know, like when we look at that, there's no guardrails. I mean, it's like they're pushing it to the very edge. And what we've got to be willing to do is say, you know what, we need some safety. We need some buffer. We need some margin between us and the sin. When I, when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in a home, and I've shared this many times, I grew up in a home with a dad who was an alcoholic. And so my dad was a what you call a functioning alcoholic. He would, uh, he would get up every morning and go to work. And he would usually, uh, you know, sometimes he would come home in the afternoons and then he would leave again. And then sometimes he wouldn't come home until 10, 11 o'clock or whatever time at night. 
And uh, he would usually go gamble because he was a gambleaholic as well. He would gamble pretty much most everything away. And then he would be mad because he had lost and he would drink. And so he would come home drunk pretty much every night uh, through, throughout my life. And so that was, that was norm for me, was for my dad to come home drunk every night. And so it was, it was one of those things you didn't want to invite friends over. You know, and a lot of times when your friends did come, come over or whatever, when he came home, they left. And so that was kind of, kind of the norm in my home. And so backing up to, in his life, his mom and his dad were both alcoholics. And so my grandfather died when I was probably three or four years old. And um, anyway, he was in a truck going down the road, him and two other guys. It was one of my uncles and another guy. And they were all drunk. And there was a license check. And I don't know if you guys know what those are or remember those. But anyway, there was a license check. And so the guy who's driving bails out of the truck, and the truck runs into the end of a concrete bridge, and it snaps my grandfather's neck. And so 30 days later, he dies in a mobile uh, hospital, mobile infirmary. And so he dies from you know, a broke neck, but really from alcohol. And my grandmother and I watched her go through her life battling alcoholism. And so, so here's the thing. So for me... I began to ask myself, you know, dude, I don't, I don't want to be an alcoholic. I mean, I've seen what it does to a family. I've seen how, what it does to people. I don't want to be an alcoholic. And so for me, I made a decision, you know, I'm not going to be a drinker. I'm not going to drink. And, and, and so I would say no. People would ask, hey, Mike, you want a beer? Nope, I'm good. I don't drink. Man, I respect that. I wish I could say that. You know, that's all you always heard. And I was like, it's pretty easy. You just don't drink. You know, and so uh, the thing is, I was not a Christian. I was not a believer. So all through high school, I, I didn't drink. You know, and so at the age of 19, I'm done with high school. I give my life to Christ. It changes everything. But I made a decision I thought was a good decision just not to drink because I didn't want to follow the pattern that my family had. I kind of wanted to be different. And so I, I've, I've never been, you know, that's not an area that I've struggled with. And so I, I thank God for, again, His grace and His mercy uh, that He, you know, He gave me whatever it took to be able to say no at that time. Rather than follow the crowd, I, be, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to be different. And so that was an area to me where I wanted some margin in my life. I wanted a little bit of buffer because I didn't want to go down that road. So maybe some of you struggle in those areas. Maybe you have a family tradition. You know, I think about Hank Williams Jr. You know, hey, it's a family tradition. But whatever it might be, maybe you say, you know what, man, I want to be different. You can be. With the power of God, God can change anything. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another area where, where, where we established some buffer, uh, and I, I felt like it was important. When we started Journey Church 14 years ago, me and my wife and our three boys, we moved here to Plant Journey Church. We started out meeting in a YMCA over in Millbrook. And, and so when we moved here, you know, everything that we did as a church was set up in our name. Like Laurie and I, we went down and we opened up an account for Journey Church. We had to sign. We had to set everything up. We were the signers on checks and everything. As soon as we could get someone we trusted to take over that role, I handed off the, 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 uh, the, the power, if you will, to be able to sign checks because I didn't want my name. I didn't want it to be an issue where someone would question me. You know, and they would say, you know, uh, Mike, you know, you, you need to be a check signer. So like, I need somebody to take my name off that. And as soon as Laura and I could get our name off that, we got our name off of it. Why? So that there would be a buffer. So that there would be a, a security or a safety zone, if you would. Because we wanted someone else to, to be able to say that. And here's the thing, just to be above reproach. Just to be above reproach. And I'll tell you this, there's times that people will come up to me, even now, and they'll say, hey, they'll say, hey Pastor Mike, you know, I, I didn't get to put this in an offering basket. Will you put this in the offering basket for me? And I'll say, hey, listen, you see that person right over there? Uh, if you will, take it to them. Or, you know, or, hey, there's Karen right over there. There's Kendra. Why don't, if you will, take it to them. They'll take care of it. Hey, I appreciate you giving. And why do I do that? 
It's because I want there to be a buffer. I don't want anybody to be able to question and say, hey, listen, you know, I think, hey, I think Mike took my money. I don't think he put it in an offering basket. And so the thing is, is what is that? That is called a, it's called margin. And we do that for a reason. And, and so even, and I'll tell you something else we do as a staff, is like I don't meet with a lady one-on-one at all. I mean, I have Kendra or Karen or one, some other lady sit in the room for counseling. If I, I don't ride in a car with anybody other than my wife. If it's just one lady, that's, she's the only one. Now, I can ride with a couple of other ladies. That's, that's fine. But I don't ride. And you're like, Mike, you're not that hot. I don't know what you're thinking. But here's the thing. It's a buffer. It's a safety. How many of us know people that have hit the ditch morally and it's cost them their marriage, it's cost them their ministry, it's cost them whatever? We all do. And, and so the thing is, 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 hey, listen, let's do everything we can to guard against the appearance of evil. And so the reason we do those things, you might say, dude, that is weird. Yeah, it is. But it's for a reason. And so we have to guard against those things. So you put safeguards in your life in areas you are tempted by your desires. And so why not guard against the appearance of evil? And here's the thing, guard against the opportunity. Man, here's the thing, that's, that's what sets you apart. That's what makes the difference. Look at this passage here. It says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the Scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So what that is saying is, hey, listen, you know, I, I, know, it's, I know it's the norm to, you know, hey, to sleep around. Everybody's supposed to have sex with everybody. Figure out which one's good at it, and that's the one you marry. That's not God's plan. That may be what the world says, but that's a bunch of crap. I'm just telling you. What God's Word says, hey, listen, save yourself. Wait for the best. Wait for the best. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your thoughts. And listen, hey, and take care of your body because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And wait until your marriage night. And then you know what? You can join together with someone and you can become one. And here's the thing. is God, was, God says, I will pour out my blessings on it. Your mom and dad will even pay for the room, most likely. And they'll say, hey, listen, go and enjoy each other. Enjoy a married life. You are in the center of God's will. Go and have fun. But I'm just telling you, outside of that, it's dishonoring to God. It's dishonoring to your family. It's dishonoring to you. So God has a standard. And God says, hey, listen, you know, I want you to wait until marriage. I want you to wait. When we go and we lay with someone, we have sex with someone, if we're a believer, if we're a Christian, you're taking Jesus right into that bed. I had a friend of mine, uh, I used to tell, I said, hey, listen, every time you, you know, because they, they struggle with alcohol, I said, man, every time you take that drink, you're forcing it down Jesus' throat. Because you claim to be a believer. For those of us in this room that claim that Christ lives within us, anything you do, everything you do, everything you look at, do, whatever, you're, you're, Jesus is right there. He's right in the middle of that. And so we have to, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that will be something that will kind of drive us to think differently about the next temptation. Look at what it says here in verse 18. It says, run from sexual sin. Run from it. Flee from it. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. We sang earlier... Hallelujah for the cross. See, here's the thing. God purchased your body. He purchased you. He redeemed you. He saved you. He has, here's the thing. He wants to sanctify you, which means change you and transform you into the image of Christ. 
And so what he's saying there, you know, this, this scripture is clear. Hey, run from sexual sin. If we go back into the Old Testament, we see where Joseph and Potiphar's wife, she's saying, hey, listen, come to bed with me. Come sleep with me. And he literally flees, and she grabs a hold of his clothes, and he runs out of his clothes. Now, he ends up in prison, and he gets, you know, has to spend time, you know, literally paying for these, these things that he did that were not wrong. But the thing is, is God had a plan all along. But he fled. He ran. And some of us, you know what we do? We see how close we can get to the edge. We know how, you know, this, this person is sending the signals. But we say, well, you know, I'm just going to see if I still got it. I want to see if, I, you know, if I'm still attractive to the other sex. I know we've been married you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. I just want to see if I've still got it. And so your ego gets bigger than your heart for God. And you begin to flirt with people that you know, you know what, that's not my spouse. You begin to flirt with people that, you know what, I'm not planning on spending the rest of my life with them. But you begin to flirt with danger. And it's just as stupid as those people on that building there. Because here's the thing, if we keep flirting with it, we're going to fall off. If we keep flirting with it, we're going to fall in love with anybody. It says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Why? There's sexually transmitted diseases that affects the body. It can literally take your life. There's diseases out there that literally you, you crossing the line can cost you your life. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The presence of God who lives in you and was given to you by God. Sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption for every believer. You do not belong to yourself, but you were bought with a high price. So here's a a statement. We are literally to run from sin to flee. Run the other way. You run the other way. When you see it for what it is, run the other way. When you begin to feel that little feeling, maybe it's the adrenaline rush. Maybe, like I said, you're, hey, it's kind of that rush, that high, that, hey, man, you know what? This feels pretty good. You know, nobody's complimented me in a while, but this guy at work, he's complimenting me, and you go, it feels good. Run the other way. You know, this, 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 this lady keeps asking me to go to lunch. You know, she knows I'm married. You know, she knows I, you know, I, I, I love my wife. Run the other way. This guy that I, I know from work, you know, I know we're both single and he's single, but you know what, he, man, he, he's, he is not living for God. You know, run the other way. And so that's what Scripture is saying. So we might say, well, what would God have me do in this situation? Run the other way. Run to Him. Run to Him. Don't follow the pattern of this world. Run to Him. Your body belongs to God. It's not yours. And I know sometimes we say, well, this is my body. I'll do what I want to with it. That's not, not as a believer. You don't think like that. We, we have laid down our life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my heart. Jesus, I give you everything. That includes our body. And so whenever we as believers say, God, I give you everything, then we say, you know what? I have, den- I have denied myself to think maybe my desires for what God you desire. Look what it says here. It says, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children, live a life filled with love. In other words, we're to love people, not hate people, not resent people, not to ridicule people and belittle people. But we're to love people. It says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. In other words, be like Jesus in your relationships. Be like Jesus in your thoughts. Be like Jesus. And, and so the thing is, literally, to imitate the, the, the very image that Christ gave us. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. Look here again. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, 
These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Let there be thankfulness to God. All right, let, let me tell you what, it, what, what it's saying there. It says, don't let there even be a hint of sexual immorality. A hint is just a little bit, right? So in other words, don't even let there be a hint of it. But, but let, you know, guard your hearts, guard your minds, guard your thoughts, but don't even let there be a hint, even just a little bit of it. You know, like I remember years ago, my boys were at the age where they were wanting, wanting to start, start watching certain movies. And um, anyway, I, I said, we're not going to watch that movie. I said, it's got some language in it. And they go, well, it's just a little bit, Daddy. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, what if, what if I went out and I, I, I made some brownies? And I said, I put just a little bit of dog poop in there. I said, would y'all still eat them? And they were like, well, no. And I said, why not? So I said, it's just a little bit. And most of y'all wouldn't eat those brownies either, would you? And, and so, so here's the thing. Is we, we say, well, it's just a little. It's just a hint. Just a hint of poop. Just a hint of whatever. You know, and so we think, well, that's okay. No, it's not. And so what God is saying, he, he calls us to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. And I, listen, I understand we live in a, a culture where, hey, guys, don't be different. You know, you, you, need to, you need to fit. You need to do what everybody else is doing. And that's kind of our mentality almost. But look, look at what it says. Let there be no sexual immorality, not even a hint of it. Impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Now, I will say this. For the rest of the world, that's where it's at. That's what they do. But here's the thing. For those of you who claim to be a follower of Christ, you're called to be different. We are called to be set apart. We're to be a little bit different than the world. The world ought to be able to look at us and go, there's something different about them. And that's a good thing. Not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. We all want to be accepted, don't we? I mean, we all do. And here's the thing. Nobody in here, like if there's a party, you know, you know, and you don't get invited, you get a little honey hurt. You know, you kind of get your feelings on your sleeve. You kind of get bent out of shape. And you're like, well, what's wrong with me? Because I didn't get invited. I wasn't a part of that. I, wasn't, I didn't get asked to go to that party. I didn't get asked to come over and watch the game last night. How come they got invited and I didn't get invited? And so here's the thing. We want to be a part of things. So a lot of times we will do it to the point we compromise our convictions because we want to fit in. We, we, we talk about students in high school all the time. Man, they want to fit in. And they give in to peer pressure. College students, they want to fit in. They give in to peer pressure. But let me tell you, moms and dads, you do the same thing. You compromise your convictions. You literally you live against what you claim you believe because you want to fit in. So here, here's a couple of guidelines that we need to guard against. Anything that arouses us in this area outside of marriage. So what are some things I need to stop doing? What are some things I need to guard against? Anything that arouses you in this area, talking about the sexual area, you know, that, that arouses that sexual desire or whatever outside of marriage, you need to guard against. So anything that arouses you in that area. And, you, and, and so here's the thing is, we, we have to be careful with that. So anything that arouses us in that area. And I would just say this to some of the ladies in the room. You know, you might say, because I, I know ladies dress for a cute outfit. They say, hey, well, it's just a cute outfit. And, I, and, and I, would, I would just say this. You know, men are wired where we're visually stimulated. I mean, that's just how God wired us. You might say, well, that's because men are jacked up, whatever. And I understand ladies that may have that opinion. But God wired men to be visually stimulated. And so when you dress a certain way, to accentuate certain body parts, it begins to defraud your brothers in Christ, and it causes them to struggle. And it's, it, the struggle is real. Men will battle that. And so you might say, well, it's just a cute outfit, you know, and I can't help you're a pervert or whatever. I'm just telling you, is how they're wired. And here's the thing is, what are you saying? That, hey, I don't want to be responsible? I don't, be, I don't want to be a responsible follower of Christ? And so we have to guard against those things. And so does that bring arousal in the guy? Absolutely. 
But here's the other thing I would say. Ladies, you know, we, you sit there and you say, well, you know, guys, you know, they're visually stimulated. But for some of you ladies, you watch a lot of chick flicks. And in these chick flicks, there's arousal that takes place because, you know what, you're, you're, you, you watch this and you go, boy, I wish my husband was like this guy. I wish my husband looked like this guy. And you're a little bit visually stimulated. And even the emotional begins to stir things in you. And here's the thing. It's not meant for your husband. You're, you're doing that for something that's not really what God says is, is right. So anything that stirs that up. So if it's a movie, you know, if it's something visual, if it's how you dress, if it's something you say or do, we have to guard against those things. And so we have to be careful. So anything that arouses us in this area outside of marriage, God says, hey, don't do it. Flee from it. Run from it. Anything, that would be a definite, anything that causes this arousal, run from it, flee from it. So we have to guard our eyes. Guard your eyes. Guard what you read. Guard what you read. And so here's the, here's the way that I function. I don't know if you guys think like this, but like if I'm reading the Bible, and I read where John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus, and, and you know, or maybe he's about to baptize you. So he's in, the, he's in the river, and he's baptizing for repentance. And he looks up, and he, he points his finger, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here comes Jesus walking down the bank. In, for me, in my mind, I have a visual of what that looks like. I can literally see John baptizing someone and pulling them back up and then looking down the river and going, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In my mind, I see all that. Do you all see that? I mean, that's the way I, I have this word picture that's taking place in my mind. So here's what I'm telling you. I have to be careful what I read. If I begin to read something that's a little bit too descriptive sexually, my mind will go there and I kind of envision what that looks like. I don't know if y'all do that, but I'm just kind of keeping it real. But I have to guard against what I read and what I allow my eyes to see. And then the other thing that's obvious is the Internet. You know, there was a time back in the day whenever to see pornography, you would have to go into like a convenience store and, uh, you know, and you would have to purchase a dirty magazine, if you would, from behind the counter that was kind of behind some, some things that were covered up. And, and so, and, and you know, and so you would, that was kind of hard to get to that because you, you don't want to go in there and be embarrassed and look like a pervert and all that kind of stuff. So that was what people did. And I can remember as a kid, as a teenager, the very first time I ever saw a dirty magazine, dude, it was a chemical burn on my brain. Literally, physiologically, that's what takes place. And I can still remember that picture to this day. I can remember where we were at. That's how it works. And so that's why we have to guard against it. So we have to be careful about what we think about. And so the thing is, is whenever I saw that it was a chemical burn that took place on my brain is what, the, what uh, physiologically happens. And so we have to guard against that. So that, back in the day, it was hard to even get that. Now, some of you have it on your phone right now. See, pornography is so prevalent. It's so easily obtained that many of you have it on your phone or either you've looked at it on your phone. And I know some of you ladies are going, man, what, you know, that's, that's disgusting, da, da, da. But here's the thing, let me tell you, the, the greatest trend right now is not among men as far as pornography addiction it's women because see women would have never gone in that convenience store and asked for a dirty magazine but boy they'll hit click they'll click it and they'll bring it in they think nobody knows we say this all the time what we do we think we've done in secret will always affect us because nobody else may know what's going on but we do and it'll affect how we deal with life and how we deal with others so whatever you think you've got hidden, it's not really hidden from God. And so we have to guard against that. So guard your eyes, what you, what you read, uh, the, the Internet, what you see. And, and like ladies, like I said, with, you know, with chick flicks, I, some of them are innocent, some of them are just romantic. I get that. But be careful. Anything that would arouse something in that area that is meant for marriage that is not with your spouse, 
You know, let, let, me, let me touch on one other as I'm talking about eyes. And I think this is, this is something that needs to be said. But there are oftentimes, you know, selfie is the rage. Everybody wants to take selfies. They've even got selfie sticks and everything. Even in that video, we saw the guy holding the, the video, you know, the video camera or the phone up with that. But oftentimes, ladies will take pictures, and it's always up here. So the clavage is seen. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, hey, let me get it up here. It doesn't matter if they cut off the top of their head, but hey, let me make sure my, my chest is in this thing. And, and you might say, hey, it's a cute dress. It's a cute shirt. It's a cute whatever. But here's the thing. You're broadcasting. And what, what is often said is, hey, you know what? They're advertising. They're advertising. So, so here's the thing. That's meant for your husband. That's meant for your husband. It's not meant for everybody to see, not for everybody to be aroused by. But here's the thing is often what you're conveying is, you know what? I'm, I'm advertising the wrong way. Now, some of you guys might say, yeah, get them, get them, get them. But here's the thing with guys do. We'll start talking to some lady, and we're just trying to, you know, care for her and watch out for her. And we will, we'll get into conversation with her that we don't need to be having with another woman. That needs to be with our wife. And so here's the thing. She may be targeting the visual, but you're targeting the emotional. And both of them are wrong. And we've got to be willing to flee. And so guard your, guard your, your eyes. Guard your mind, what you think about. Like I said, you've got to guard your mind, what you think about. And so here's the thing is oftentimes what we do is we dwell on past situations. Maybe someone we, we were with before. You know, maybe as a past girlfriend, past boyfriend, whatever. And we dwell on those things. Or maybe we dwell on things that haven't happened yet. And we think and we think on those things that do not honor God. The Bible is clear. You look in Philippians 4. It says, hey, focus, fix your eyes on those things that are praiseworthy. Those things that are honorable. Those things that, you know what, that bring honor to God. So we should be fixing our eyes on those things, not on anything else. Fix our focus. Hey, what's praiseworthy? What is life-giving? What is God honoring? Help me to think on those things. God, help me to think on thankfulness. Remember, that's what Scripture said? Hey, be be thankful in everything. This morning as we sat here singing those songs, I was sitting there going, God, thank you for the cross. God, thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for your grace. God, thank you that I am a broken-down old sinner that has been saved by your grace. God, thank you that you have redeemed me. Thank you that I was a captive and I have been set free. God, thank you that you have redeemed me with the blood of Christ. God, thank you. Those are the things we need to focus on. Those things we need to think on. Instead of the negative and the, and, and the venom and everything else that we, we spew, hey, let's be life-giving in our words. Let's, let's honor God with our thoughts. And it says guard your heart. And that's who you open yourself up to. It's real easy to care for someone so much that you begin to get engaged in, a, in feelings that, you know what, you never intended to get there. I tell people all the time, no drug addict ever says, you know what, I want to be a drug addict when I grow up. No alcoholic says, you know what, I want to be an alcoholic when I get older. But slowly, but surely it happens, it's, 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 like, a, it's like a slow slide down that road. And here's the thing, some of you say, might say, you know, I never intended to get involved in an affair. Nobody does. Or maybe they do. But the thing is, it started as a conversation, or maybe he touched my hand and said, hey, listen, I'm praying for you, thinking, thinking about you. And all of a sudden it turns into, be careful who you open your heart up to. For your heart is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. And it says, be different. Set yourself apart and follow God's pattern. A lot of what I've just said, some of you guys are probably going, dude, he's old-fashioned. You're right, I am. Man, what you're saying, Mike, is old-fashioned. You, are you in touch with reality? Do you realize what our culture's doing? I do. But I believe in the Word of God. And I believe that God's Word is best. And I believe that God's promises are true. 
And I believe that the authority and the power of God and His Word can change lives and set captives free. Be different. Be, be okay with that. Be, be different and be okay with that. Set yourself apart. And say, you know, so here's, here's what happens. Someone said, hey, listen, we're going to see such and such movie. And you go, you know what? I really don't feel like that's what I need to be watching. They're going to go, dude, what is wrong with you? This is, this is, this is the latest, greatest, whatever. And you say, you know what? I'm just going to say no. And you walk away. Will you be ostracized? Maybe. You, you, someone invites you to go out clubbing or whatever. You say, hey, listen, man, I'm married. I may have done that in my single life. I'm not saying it was right then, but you know what? I know it's not right now, and I'm going to say no. Dude, what's wrong with you? Dude, you're getting, you're getting old. Different. Be okay with that. Look at what it says in Romans. It says, do not let sin control the way you live, and do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely, you might want to underline that, completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have, been, you have new life. In other words, you've been saved, you've been changed. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. I hope, my prayer is that everybody in this room is able to celebrate God's freedom today. That when we sing those songs about freedom, we go, man, that's me. Man, that's me. God, thank you that you have set me free. God, thank you that I'm no longer a slave to that. God, thank you that you can change people, even me. Thank God for His mercy and His grace. So don't live under the control of it. Here's a couple of next steps I think would be beneficial for every one of us. Maybe this first one works for you. Confess your sin to God and ask Him to give you the desire for real change. Talk about a change of desire. Rather than the desires for sin, the desires for the things that bring temptation into my life, God changed the desire so that my desire is for life change. God, will you change me is what you're saying. Say, God, you're saying, God, I confess to you. Confession is agreeing with God. It's saying, God, this is sin in my life. God, I've been looking at things I don't need to be looking at. God, I've, I've, been, I've been stealing. And God, I want to ask you to forgive me for stealing. God, I've been flirting with someone else's wife. I've been flirting with someone else's husband. And God, I want to ask you to forgive me. God, I've been doing things that do not honor you. And God, I want to confess that to you. I'm, I'm agreeing with you at sin. And so God, will you forgive me? Will you change me? And so what you're saying is, you're saying, God, I line up with you. I'm in agreement with you. I'm confessing it. I'm coming clean. And here's the thing. The Bible says to confess our sins, and He is faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. Now, it's not so that we can experience more and more grace. So we confess it. You know, He forgives us and says, you know what? I can go do this again because God is a God of grace, isn't He? We don't sin so that grace increases. If anything... We're thankful for it, and we live a life of thankfulness and obedience because of His grace. So maybe for some of you today, you just finally say, you know what, this is sin. I had a young man come up to me after the first service. He said, man, you spoke the truth today. This is what I'm struggling with. It's like you're taking steps towards freedom. Taking steps towards freedom. Look at the second one. Choose today to be different and be okay with being different from the world. See, that's a choice. And I will say this. That's, that's, that's a moment-by-moment, that's a moment, day-by-day choice. It may even be second-by-second. Second. 
There's going to be temptations that will come up that, you know what, they, they hit you in your money spot. You go, you know what, dude, that's the one thing I struggle with the most. What, why would Satan do anything else other than that? He's going to hit you with what you struggle with the most. He's going to nail you with that. But here's the thing. The desire comes from within you. Say, God, I want to crucify this flesh. I want to die to my way of thinking. I want to die to my desires. God, I want to be alive to Christ. I want Jesus to live in me. Look at this last one. I think this is huge. This is a great opportunity for application. It says, list one thing below that you're going to start doing today or stop doing today that will put some moral margin in your life. One thing. What's the one thing that you're willing to do? Maybe some of you say, you know what, I'm going to stop watching so much TV. I'm going to stop watching this certain program that always shows scantily clad women. Or I'm going to stop watching this program that promotes evil. I'm going to stop having the conversation with the lady at work that I know is married and that I'm beginning to have feelings for. I'm going to stop looking at things that does not honor God. I'm going to stop going to this website. I'm going to stop doing, posting these type of pictures on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. I'm going to stop doing anything. I'm going to start spending time in God's Word in prayer. I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to start reading God's Word and seeking to apply these texts. I'm going to take these Scriptures from today and I'm going to start trying to live according to that pattern. I'm going to try to live different from the world. I'm going to stop chasing this world and what it offers and say, God, I want what's best. So what will you start doing today or stop doing today that will put moral margin, a safety zone, a bumper, if you will, in between you and the temptation? I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and There's not a person in this room that's not affected by what we've talked about today. We're all broken people. We're all strugglers. We're all sinful. We're all struggling. And it's easy to drift away. Easy to drift away. There may be some of you in this room that you've never put your faith in Christ. You never asked Jesus to come into your life, to live within you, to come and take residence in your heart. You've never received Jesus. And so for you, you're going, dude, I can't even get my mind around some of the stuff you're saying today, Mike. But man, I want to. I want to live in freedom. I, I want to live knowing that I have eternal life. And so me and Mike, what I need to do, let me tell you, it's, 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 it's simple, but it's so profound. And so here's what we do. What we, what we do is we say, Jesus, we confess, just like we talked about in the first step. God, Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I confess to you that I need you in my life. Jesus, I need to be saved. I confess to you that I'm a sinner and I have broken your word, I've broken your law. And so Jesus, will you come into my heart? Jesus, I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to live for you. That's repentance. So Jesus, I want to turn from this pattern that I've been following. Jesus, I want to turn to you. That's repentance. So the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And if we repent, if, if without repentance, there's no remission of sins. So I want to repent so that my sins are covered. I want to turn to you, God. And so that may be your need today. So I want to lead you to a simple prayer. But it's your prayer. It's the prayer of your heart. And so right where you're at, just say, Jesus, 
I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I confess to you that I've blown it. I've messed up. And so, Jesus, will you come into my life? I give you everything. I give you my life completely. And I want to ask you to fill me with your Spirit. I want to ask you to seal me with your Spirit. And I want you to change me. And I want to be like you. I want to change and become like Christ. If that is your prayer, if that is your prayer today, God's Word says in Romans that you will be saved. That you're adopted into His family. You become a part of the family of God. You become a part of His church. And so if that is your prayer, I just want you to raise your hand. Just raise it up and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer. I just want to be able to pray for you. I want to kind of see who you are. Just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer to receive Christ. I just, I just gave my life to Christ. I see your hand right there. Anybody else? Just raise your hand and say, Mike, that was me. Hey, it takes courage to raise your hand. And, and listen, it's a bold step. But just say, hey, I, I, want, I want you to know, man, just so you'll be praying for me. Just raise your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? If you just raised your hand, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. That's the most important decision you'll ever make. This young lady right here just gave her life to Christ. That's awesome. She's been set free. She's been redeemed. She's been given hope and a future. The Bible says she's been given a brand new heart. How awesome is that? For many in this room, you've made that decision long ago, but you know what? Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you're living a life of sin right now. God is calling you to repentance. And He's saying, hey, listen, I want you to change. I want you to confess this. I want you to turn to me, and I will bring healing. Maybe you've been flirting with an affair. You need to flee. Maybe you've been sleeping with your boyfriend or sleeping with your girlfriend. You need to flee. Maybe you've been going to websites and things that you know you shouldn't be going to. You need to flee. Jesus is saying, turn to me. Turn to me. Father, I thank you for loving us. God, I thank you for this young lady who gave her life to Christ today. God, I thank you that salvation... God, it was not free, but we were purchased at such a high price. God, you purchased her. God, you purchased me. You purchased so many in this room. So, God, I pray that we would use our bodies for your glory. God, that we would literally seek to honor you with our decisions, with our thoughts, with our eyes, with how we dress, with what we watch. God, that with everything that we do, we would seek to honor you and and bring glory to your name and to tell others about how you can change them and how you can save them. God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.